Amen. Can you guys hear me? How are we doing? If you don't know me, I'm Brian. It is good to meet you. I am so glad to be here. Thank you. Thank you. So, somebody, somebody's been to certain meetings with me. All right. <laughs> um, we've been in this series, Fear and Faith in Uncertain Times. As Max mentioned, can we all agree that these are uncertain times? Everybody with me? You don't have to say this out loud, but I would venture to say most of us could resonate with the feeling of fear. Maybe, okay. You don't have to say it out loud, I'm just saying. What I want to talk about today is this faith piece, which is a little harder. And as we get started, I want to invite you into something. So some of us have been at this faith thing and church thing for a long time in our life. Others of us maybe kind of new on the journey. Whatever you are in, in that midst, I want to ask and invite you to something which is to admit that maybe God is bigger. Maybe there's more to God than you have seen or felt or known or been taught in your life. The way I like to think of it is something like this. How many of you do puzzles? Anybody do puzzles like uh, when you get family together, things like that, okay? And uh, what's the most important part of a puzzle? The, the edges, the corners, you're all wrong. No, that's right. No, that's right. Having all the pieces helps a lot. But that's not it either. The most important part is the lid. If you do not have the lid, especially when you have like, has anybody ever done like those thousands and thousands of pieces? So what way I like to think of it is something like this. Like I think for many of us when it comes to God, that we've been, we have this sense that either we've been given the wrong lid altogether or maybe... <laughs> Or maybe, maybe part of the lid is missing. And I want to invite us today just to maybe be open to the idea that maybe God would have something bigger for us. So we're going to look at some scriptures to do that and talk a little bit about who God might be. And I hope you stay with me in this. To do that, I'm going to tell three stories and I'm going to give you three lists. So some people are list people. Some people are story people. You're both are going to be happy today. All right. <laughs> Uh, the passage we're in today is in Mark chapter 10, and I'm going to read it as we get started, and then um, we'll see where this goes. So many of you have heard this story probably before, but Mark chapter 10, uh, starting in verse 17, as Jesus start, was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down, and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all of these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There's still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions. Give the money to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow at this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. The story continues. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard is it, it is for the rich man to enter the kingdom of God? And this amazed them, but Jesus said again, Dear children, it's very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved? They asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, Humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. 
Then Peter began to speak up. We've given everything to follow you, he said. Yes, Jesus replied, and I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father, children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, children, and property, along with persecution. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. The word of the Lord. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? God, we pray that you would inhabit this space today. Teach us something more about you. A God who's bigger. A God who's always more than we think. Invite us to see that in your spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Very good. So I'm going to jump right into the story. Story number one is the story from the scripture. So I just read it. Uh, Jesus has this young man kind of run up to him. Now, the picture in the story is it says that this, this man ran up and he knelt down in front of Jesus. Now, what do you think of when you think of somebody kneeling in front of you? Like there's a power dynamic there. Who do you think is, who do you think is communicating is more important? The person standing, right? And then the person kneeling would seem to be subservient right? And that's a little bit about what's going on, but let me color this picture a little better for you. So most of us didn't live in that particular time and place in the world, and so it can be a little, we can miss some things going on. So Jesus is a rabbi. He's a Jewish rabbi, which holds a very unique place in that culture and time. Uh, There's a whole bunch there we don't have time for today, but the biggest thing to understand is there was much expected of a Jewish rabbi. They had a lot of authority They had a lot of sway in the world. And when they came to a town, people looked up to them and listened to them and wanted to be part of what they were doing, what they were saying. They wanted to hear. They were important people. So you have this Jewish rabbi who comes into town. If a rabbi would bless you, if I were to say to Ian, if I was a rabbi, you are a good person, that would carry so much weight. It it wouldn't be just like uh, somebody saying a compliment to you. This would be like, getting the best recommendation ever in the history of the world. And so there you have this, so you have Jesus, this rabbi. Then you have this man who comes up to him. And we learn a little later in the story that this man has a lot of possessions. So the way to think about it, he has lots and lots of money. And in that culture, I know it's probably hard to imagine, but in that culture, people with money were seen as more important. And I just try to use your imagination if you can. And so in that culture, if you had a lot of money, you consider very, very important. And what's interesting is, so he had all this money. He probably had the nice clothes. You can kind of picture it. He had the cars. He had the camels. He had all the things, you know, the luxury things that he needed to impress everybody around him. But what's interesting is he's coming up to Jesus, and we get a clue about what's going on in the story by some of his language. He's not just coming up to bow down in front of this teacher because he really believes Jesus is better. Listen to this in in verse Uh, The second part of verse 17, good teacher, he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, Jesus is on to him. And you should catch this. You probably saw it when when we read it through the first time. Jesus asked this question, why do you call me good? And the reason Jesus asked him this is because he knew what the guy was after, was a blessing from this rabbi that'd be sort of another notch on his belt, another possession for him, another person that would really like him, that he could go around proudly and say, oh, this Jewish rabbi, he really likes me. He, I bowed down before him and he blessed me. But Jesus doesn't fall for the bait. 
And so the man asked this question, what, do I, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this question is an important question, and we often misread it in our particular culture because of that phrase, eternal life. When we hear that phrase, we think of eternal, like, never-ending, forever and ever, amen, kind of life. What he was talking about, this was a question they asked quite a bit in Jesus' day. And the question really behind this question is this. What do I have to do to be in good relationship with God? That's what that question really is. He's asking, what do I have to do to be in right relationship with God so that I will be seen as someone who is favored by you and by the, the established religion, the Jewish religion? What do I have to do? In other, in other words, what do I have to do to get praised? That's what he's asking. So Jesus says, he goes on, only God is truly good. Answer your question. You know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely or cheat anyone. You honor your father and mother. Then it goes on. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. Still something you haven't done. Go sell everything. Give it to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. And then come follow me. That's an important phrase. I'll come back to that in a minute. At this, the man's face fell. What's going on in this passage? Now, it is a lot to ask somebody to give everything over. But there's something bigger going on. Again, sometimes we miss it because we didn't live in that culture in that day. But you might recognize these commandments that Jesus lists out. So I'm going to back up and just put them back up here. You might recognize these. Don't murder. So don't steal. Don't commit adultery. Don't, okay, honor your father and mother is one of them. I'm going to try to, hopefully these will stay. These come from a list of 10 commandments. Has anybody heard of the Ten Commandments before? Okay, once or twice, okay. If you went to Sunday school growing up, you've probably heard of them. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, don't steal. These all come from this list of ten, top ten things, if you will, that God says we should do. Now, by saying these five, well, anyway, you get the idea. By saying these five, Jesus is communicating something because he didn't say the other five. Do you think it's because Jesus, the Jewish rabbi, who had memorized easily the first five books of the Bible, knew them frontwards and backwards, probably in three or four languages, knew every law and obeyed every law, do you think it's because he forgot that day? So what are the other five that he left out? Let's see if we can... See what might be missing in this young man's life. Number one, no other gods. You know, a god is this thing that we worship, that we follow, that has influence in our life. Second one, no idols. You know what an idol is? An idol is, is something that might even be good, but we make ultimate. No idols. Number three, don't misuse God's name. I grew up, we, we said it in a different translation, it says don't use God's name in vain. Does anybody hear that? And I was taught that that meant don't swear. <laughs> and that might be part of it. But what this, the idea behind this is when I say that I follow God, but I live a different way, then I've somehow violated this relationship with God. I know it's hard to imagine that anyone would do that, but just if you could. 
It's like the church van where it has the name of the church on it, and then the youth group's mooning people as they drive by. That's not honoring God's name, right? Right? Not, not that I've ever heard. Okay, anyway. <clears throat> Therapy's going great. Number four, Sabbath. The idea in Sabbath is that somehow I trust that God is a God of abundance, that God loves me, that my value comes only from God and being in relationship with him. Just because I'm created, I don't have to do anything. I can trust God. Even on that day, I can live in the trust and faith that God values me and he's got it. And then number 10 over here, (laughs) this interesting one, it says, do not covet. What does it mean to covet? What's it mean to covet? Want something somebody else has. Which in and of itself, you might say, well, what's the big deal with that? Like, especially if, there, if God's a God of abundance and there's lots of things out there, what's the big deal if I want the new iPhone 14 Pro or whatever? What's the big deal with that? But part of, forgive me, part of what coveting is also saying is, God, what you've already given me isn't enough. I know better, and you haven't given me what I actually need. What you've given me just simply isn't enough. I know what you think, God, but I'm sure if you ask me, I can tell you what I actually need. So these five that Jesus didn't say, do you notice any commonalities in those? All about what? All about God, all about trusting him. What are the other five about that Jesus did mention? Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, honor your father and mother. What do these have in common? They're all about other people, right? And apparently this young man had done this masterful job of living a life, pleasing other people around him, of his own will, of his own ability, of his own control, living in this kind of place where somehow he had done enough to please the people around him. Remember why he came to Jesus in the first place, hoping for this blessing. And apparently he had left out this important part of actually trusting God with his life. I've obeyed these commandments since I was young, said the young man. And Jesus knew that he had. Jesus left out the other five because Jesus knew what the issue with this young man Now, I want you to see this. Verse 21, Jesus felt, you see this phrase. It doesn't say Jesus felt anger or judgment or shame or anything else. Jesus felt genuine love for this young man. Then he gives them this commandment. Go sell your possessions. Give the money to the poor. Why Why the possessions? Why give to the poor? Because that was, for this young man, the idol. For him, this was the God that he was serving. And he knew if he were to do that, that he would turn away from all the things that keep him from trusting God. And so the man's face fell. He went away sad. For he had many possessions. Jesus said in here, the last commandment, he says, then after you do that, come follow me. I want you to catch this. This is one of the most important phrases a Jewish rabbi ever could say to anyone else. Come follow me meant this. I think 
you have what it takes to be my disciple. I think you have what it takes to live this kind of life. So Jesus' phrase here, then come follow me, wasn't some sort of shame-inducing thing. It was basically saying, I believe in you. I believe you have what it takes. And that makes this, this man's reaction even more startling because instead of stepping into this love and this grace and this forgiveness and this invitation and this belief in him, he chooses himself. And so we see in this passage this really interesting thing. It's sort of like this. I've, I've used this story before. Many of you grew up in church. I've heard it. But I think it's actually a super helpful illustration here. So it's like if you're buying a house. How many of you bought a house before? Okay. You look, some of you, some of you hope to buy a house someday. Just imagine you're looking for the best house. You, usually when you buy a house, you come up with a list of things. Here's what I want. I want a big yard. I want a nice kitchen. I want 74 rooms. I need 64 bathrooms. I have four kids. I have 64 bathrooms. Right, whatever it is, you come up with your list. And then you know, like, here are the things that I have to have and, right, you know, go for it. So this family, this couple is looking for their, this house, this dream house, and they're having trouble finding it. Finally, one day, they stumble across this listing of this perfect house. It meets every single one of the requirements, and it's even cheaper than they would plan to spend. It's, like, unbelievable, the price on this house. And most of you are like, that obviously was a long time ago, not today. <laughs> but here it is. So they go and they... Now, this is kind of unusual. If you've bought a house before, you know this. But the seller of the house said, I really will, I need to be, I want to meet with you. This is one of the conditions for me selling it at such a cheap price. I want to meet with you. So they say, fine. So this price is so unbelievable. It's like half of what they would have expected to pay. So they go and they meet with this owner of this house. And he says, he shows them around the house. And it's even better than they thought. It was kept up better than they thought. It's painted just the way they would want. Like, they wouldn't have to do anything. They just move in. It'd be perfect. And then he gets to this one closet in the house, and he says, here's the deal. This is my closet. I have some things in this closet that are mine. I need them. I need access to them whenever, however I want. So here's the deal. I'll sell you this house, but here's the, here's the deal. I get access to this closet, and I can walk in the front door of your house anytime I want, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. I can just walk in and get whatever I want whenever I want out of this closet. And you have to agree to that. How many of you are saying, okay, sign me up? <laughs> then you're crazy. <laughs> of course not, right? But this is exactly what the young man is doing with God. He's saying, you can have all these things in my life, the five, but there's this other part of me trusting you fully that I'm not willing to give over. Kind of interesting how this comes about. The disciples are there and they're asking this question. Who can be saved? And, and God, of course, says, well, humanly speaking, none of us can actually do this. None of us on our own can trust God fully. And you and I know this, even if we haven't named it before. We've tried to trust God by ourselves, and it's just not possible. But not with God. Everything is possible with God, Jesus says. And then verses 29 and 30 following that. Jesus basically starts to just show them this upside-down kingdom. This passage is a, a, a passage of scriptures where Jesus has just been teaching them what this kingdom, this upside-downness of what he's after looks like. And basically what he's saying is the last will be first, the first will be last. So this first story sort of seems like it's all about money and possessions. But as I'm trying to 
hopefully help us see it's actually about something so much bigger. It's not just about possessions. It's about trusting God with everything I have, everything I am. See, when we live in this idea of scarcity, there's not enough, then I have to live in fear all the time. And I have to try to be in control of things. But when I live in this idea of abundance, that God has more than enough of stuff, but also more than enough of love and forgiveness and grace, then I can choose to live in faith and trust in that. And apparently what this young man struggled with was actually trusting God with everything. Second story I want to tell you is a, a guy, this one will be much shorter. Uh, his name's Roger. Roger um, was a member at a church I was serving at. Um, Roger's the kind of guy that everybody liked. You know, like, even if you tried to dislike Roger, you couldn't help it. You just started liking him. Like, he was one of those kind of people. And every, like, literally everybody likes Roger. And Roger, I don't know if sales, you know, if, if because everybody likes him, he fell into sales or because, I don't know which came first, but the bottom line is he was also in sales and he was phenomenal at it. He had a lot of money. He was liked by everyone. He was very well respected in the community, et cetera, et cetera. Now, over the years, I got to know Roger and we started having some conversations about life and things like that. And again, he came to the church and he served there a little bit. He told me he gave to the church. I believe him. I didn't actually see any of that, but I assume that was right. Um, and Roger began to tell me a little bit about his background. And his background, he grew up in a family with a lot of kids. Uh, he grew up in, in a lot of poverty. So basically every day he was always asking this question, will I have enough to eat? Like it was always a big struggle for them. And he was the youngest in his family and everybody in his family, his mom, his dad, his brothers, his sisters, everybody were basically telling him this pretty much every day. You're dumber than all of us. You're not as good looking as any of us. You're never gonna amount to anything. You're a problem. And to be frank, you just don't measure up told him this pretty much every day. And so he set about in his life to show them. And he did. He became the most like. He became the one of the family easily with the most money. He had a lot of money. He did everything he could to prove them wrong. And then one day, he comes up to me, he says, Brian, I got to talk to you. And I could tell something was different. He's always really in a good mood. You could tell he was kind of really serious and maybe a little sad. And I said, what's going on, Roger? He said, uh, I got to tell you about this conversation I've been having with God. I said, oh, okay, well, what is it? And he said, well, here's the deal. Um, I really feel like God has been challenging me and asking me to give more so that others could hear this good news about Jesus. And I feel like God's been challenging me to give away some things. And, he, and I said, okay, well, how's that going? And he said, well, mostly really fine. I mean, he said, I have all this stuff, but to be honest, I don't care that much about it. I know I basically got all this stuff to prove my parents wrong, and they're dead now. I don't really care. And he said, I, I have all this stuff. And, and, and he said, you know, the money doesn't bother me that much, and I, I can give that away. That's not that big of a deal. And I said, well, here's where to sign. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, what, what's the problem? And he said, well, I'm praying to God. And he had this car. It was a Ford Falcon. It was an old car, and he'd restored it. And he had a lot of pride in it. And part of it was it was a car his dad actually had. And he wanted to, again, show his dad up. And so he bought this car, and it was beautiful. And it represented so many things in his life. 
And he said, so I'm praying last night. And I said, God, okay, fine, you can have everything. And God said, Roger, look down at your hand. He said, I looked down at my hand and it was balled up in as tight a fist as I could possibly make it. And he said, Roger, what's in your hand? He said, this key to this car was this, in his mind was in his hand. He's like, I'll give you everything, God, but this. Roger came face to face with the same thing this young man did. Which brings us to story number three, which is our story. (laughs) What if God wants us to trust him with everything? What if this isn't a story just about a a rich young ruler? What if this isn't just a story about Roger? What if this is a story about us? Now, I don't know about you. If you're like my house, uh, you may have noticed things have gone up in price. Anybody with me on that? (laughs) And you may have noticed, like, you may be asking a question, like, I don't know if I have enough. Like, I don't know if there's enough here to go around. I don't know if I can actually afford things. Maybe you can't relate to that. Um, What God maybe is fundamentally asking us to do is to look at our stuff in an entirely different way. Maybe what God's fundamentally asking us to do is to look at our lives in an entirely different way. To give him everything. Now, if you're like me, you probably are already, (laughs) I'm not assuming too much here, but you're probably already thinking a little bit about why Maybe it's not okay to trust God with everything. So I come up with this list, top five reasons not to trust God. I've already anticipated your thoughts here. So uh, number one, why should we not trust God? One, you, I can do it all myself. I'm sure you've got all of this taken care of. Everything in your life is perfect. And you've got this, right? And, and by the way, the good news is when I think I can do it all myself, the good news is there's almost no pressure there, right? <laughs> I got this. It's all me. No problem at all. God doesn't know what I need. I got it. I got this. Number two, I'm good at making people, people happy. Why stop now? Sure, I might be exhausted and nauseated and sort of seasick, if you will, all the time. I might feel miserable and empty, but it's fine. I'm fine. Everything's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Number three, I don't have to admit that I have a weakness or weaknesses. See, if I don't have to trust God, then I don't have to admit that I actually need him in any way. So I can keep up this charade that I've got it all together. By the way, everybody knows you're not perfect. Sorry. (laughs) Number four, I don't have to give up control. I know nobody in this room struggles with this, but probably me, but sometimes we like to be in control. And if anything we've learned over the last couple years is we're definitely all in control, right? There's nothing else that we haven't anticipated. The interesting thing when we begin to trust God is it sort of becomes this freedom to give up the sense that I have to have it all figured out. And number five, I don't have to invest in others or be a part of something bigger. It's all about me, baby. See, if I trust in God, then what that actually requires is some sacrifice. 
It requires that I actually open my eyes and look around and see the people around me and that they might need some of the things that God's entrusted to me. I don't know this young man in the story, this rich young ruler. I don't know his backstory. And I don't really know most of yours. But I sure do know this. Lots and lots of us are trying really hard to stay in control. I know lots and lots of us, so just look around the world, we're trying to do it on our own. I know lots and lots of us are, are trying to figure out what this means for me if I can just hold on one more day. What if God is bigger and better than you ever imagined? What if he's a God of abundance, a God of forgiveness, a God of love, a God who believes in you and believes you can do it. The interesting thing about this story is it's kind of fascinating. It, it is about, in some ways, possessions. And I don't think that's accidental. Like, I think Mark, who's telling the story, I think he tells it this way, in, in particular because there's something that is real about, you know, our heart and our money are kind of connected. You know this, right? And just to name this, so I just want to say this before I say anything else. Um, I don't know what any of you give, so don't feel like I'm targeting anybody. I don't have any idea what you do here, uh, Generations or anyone else. I'm just sharing some stats specifically for the, for the United States. In America, about 75% of Americans give to charity or nonprofit every year. That's down about 10% over the last two years, but about 75% of Americans give at least once a year to something. About 3 to 5% of those Americans give on a regular basis. So it turns out, Lots of people give maybe once every once in a while or maybe once a year, but not very many people give regularly, 3 to 5%. The average amount that people give in America when they give is about 2.5% of whatever they bring home that month. That's down from a period in time called the Great Depression when most people gave about 3.3%. Um, we also know that we're getting, in terms of nonprofits, charitable organizations, they're getting fewer and fewer gifts from people, but the people who are giving are right now seems like they're giving actually more, which is kind of interesting. So there are fewer people giving, but the few who give are giving a little bit more to kind of pick up the slack, if you will. If we're like most churches, and again, I honestly don't know the stat here, um, about 25% of the people in the congregation and most congregations give. 25%. Give something one time a year. That's not that much, but that's 25%. So apparently, if I can just name this, apparently just because people go to church doesn't mean that we trust God <laughs> with everything. I don't know what it is for you. I don't know if it's possessions like it is for this man in the story. I don't know if it's a car like it was for Roger. I don't know if it might be like your health, or your family, or your kids. I don't know what it is you're holding on to. I don't know if it's money and stuff. I don't know if for you if it's the sense of control. I don't know if for you if it's maybe things like our, our, what people think of us, our time, our careers. I don't know what it is for you. But I do know this. Most of us are trying to hold on. And I wonder if we just might hear this invitation today, like, Jesus gave to this rich, young ruler. Come, follow me. 
So what are some takeaways from this? A couple really quick I have, some, some next steps. And then we're gonna, I'm going to invite you to do something. Number one is to pray. Now, if you're taking notes and you're the note-taking person, here's a spot you might want to take some notes. Here's some things I think you could pray for. I think one of the things we can ask God to help us with is just to do, if, if I can use this word, an audit of our life. Am I really trusting you, God, with my life? Or are there things I'm still holding on to? Second thing I think we can ask God for is the faith, like this story, this man needs the faith to actually give God our life. And I think to go along with that, we can ask God for the strength to say yes, to do what he invites us to do. And then I also think we can actually begin to pray for the people in this room, our brothers and sisters, that God would help all of us be able to live into this freedom that comes from trusting God. The second thing is to ask for help. Sometimes we find ourselves in situations where maybe it's a financial issue or a mental and emotional issue or a spiritual issue where we are really struggling. Maybe we're in so much in debt or whatever else it might be that we need help. Can I tell you that one of the things I know about this congregation is there are tons of people in here that want to help you out, that will give the shirt off their back, if you will. But we can't help if we don't know. So if any of that's an issue for you, um, I'm kind of teasing where this series is going a little bit, but if that, any of that might be an issue for you, I challenge you to reach out to Max or the church, and we'd be happy to help you with some of those things. And the third thing here is to have, hold things with an open hand. So just going to ask you to put your hand out with it open, and this posture is different than this posture, yeah? <laughs> so I want to challenge you to hold what God has maybe given you as a steward of that thing, but to name the reality that it's not mine anyway, it's God. So I'm going to hold it, but I'm going to hold it loosely and allow God to use that. And then the last thing up here is this quote that God believes in me. Here's the deal. Most of us have these recordings in our head like Roger had. He'd been told his whole life, not good enough. I'm never going to measure up. No one likes me. No one's ever going to like me, all these things. I don't know what those things are saying in your head, but I want you to hear this from this passage even, that God genuinely loves you and believes that you can live in freedom that you can trust him with everything you have. So here's what we're going to do. The band's going to come up, and we're going to sing one last song. And Ian, would you mind coming and help me move these chairs right here back? And what we're going to do is just a really simple invitation. For some of us in here, maybe we've been at this a long time. And for some of us in here, maybe... Uh, maybe we've acted like we've trusted for a long time, and maybe we haven't. Maybe for some of us in here... We know that thing we're holding on to, like Roger and the key to the car. I don't know what it is for you, but the invitation is really simple. To come up and take a rock and write on it, here's the thing I'm struggling with. Here's the thing, God, that I want to give over to you. And maybe your rock is, maybe you want to write more than one thing on there. That's fine. And then just write it down and leave it right here on the table. The invitation is to say, God, you're enough. And I'm going to trust you. So as they sing, I want to invite you to pray, to trust, and maybe if you're at that spot where you're ready to give something to him, that you'll come and do that. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for this time. Thank you for the invitation in our lives to trust you with everything. Forgive us of the places where we maybe are holding on to what people think of us or our stuff or that car or whatever it is, and help us to trust you with everything. 
everything. Because you are more than enough. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Will you stand with us?